So the cross has made us flawless, but so often, uh, while we confess that on Sunday, we kind of lose it on Monday. The confession that we make about all that God has done for us and done uh, to us and wants to do through us, those confessions that we make on Sunday, somehow um, they slip our mind and our hearts on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Y'all remember the story of the ugly duckling? Y'all remember the story of the ugly duckling? Y'all, do we? Do we? Go back into your memory vault. Story of the ugly duckling. And, and essentially, and I've forgotten all about the story, but except this there's, this, there's this swan that grows up with a bunch of ducks. And the swan doesn't look like the ducks. And so the other ducks think that the swan is ugly because it's not as pretty as the other baby ducklings. And the swan, the little baby swan that's being raised with a bunch of baby ducklings, doesn't walk like the other ducklings, doesn't quack like the other ducklings, doesn't look like the other ducklings. Uh, But uh, all the while, even though the ducklings were making fun of the swan, and even though the swan felt insecure about its feathers, I don't know if it felt insecure about its feathers, I just thought I'd add that, The truth was that it wasn't an ugly duckling, it was a beautiful swan. And finally, you know, the big reveal at the end of the story, the the swan is is beautiful and magnificent, and all the ducks are jealous of the swan because its beauty has come shining through. You know, I think that for us as followers of Jesus, what happens is we start thinking of ourselves as ugly ducklings when in reality God has made us beautiful swans. And, and even though we sing about being a beautiful swan on Sunday, we are still captured on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday with the idea that I'm just an ugly duckling. Last night, my wife and I were uh, talking, and, and, and I just looked at her and I said, Honey, I'm just unsettled. Now, a couple of things about that. For me to acknowledge to my wife that there is something emotionally going on here, that's a pretty big deal because I don't talk about me having emotions. You might imagine why I have four daughters, a wife, female dog, female cat, that kind of thing. So there are plenty of emotions to go around, and I just don't have to acknowledge mine. Uh, but I was, I was sitting there, I was going, honey, I, I am unsettled. And she said, well, you know, let's talk about that. And, I, and I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about my emotions. I mean, it was hard enough for me to share my emotions. No, I was just kidding. We really did talk about it. I said, it's not unusual, and it's not. It's not uncommon for me to feel unsettled inside myself on a Saturday night. Saturday nights are are crazy for people in my line of work. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that you're thinking about. The weight of what you do on Sunday morning is heavy. And so you feel the weight very intently. And so, uh, or maybe there's something about what you're going to share on Sunday morning that is not quite in sync with how you're living your life. And so God keeps you unsettled until you get those things in sync. Um, or it's, uh, uh, you're tired and you want to go to sleep and, and your mind is still racing about what you're going to talk about on Sunday morning. Or it could be something totally disconnected from Sunday morning altogether, something about our circumstances or something about my own personal journey or uh, worried about, I mean, last night one of my daughters said to, uh, said to us, talking about 
her older sister uh, maybe getting married in a couple of years. I mean, I wanted to punch her in the nose for saying that. I, that that's it. That's probably what unsettled me. I, I, that is not happening, by the way. Anyway, so, uh, but I was, I was just talking about being unsettled, and, and, and so uh, Edie, Edie said, well, you know, what can you do about being unsettled? And I thought, duh, I'm preaching about it. See, that, that really is what, what I'm talking about today. See, we as followers of Jesus, if we're real, if we're honest, I, anybody can come in here and play a game. I'm so sick to death, and you've heard me say it. I'm, I'm just going to say it more and more. I'm so sick to death coming in here and playing church games, making believe like I'm okay. You making believe like you're okay. Making believe like I've got it all together. You making believe like you've got it all together. Let's stop pretending. Let's just be honest. Turn the chairs toward each other. Talk honestly about our struggles and being unsettled and not trying to pretend like I've got all the super spiritual answers and you don't pretend like you've got all your super spiritual let's just be friends and family on this journey together trying to discover what God has for us now let's stop playing games you know and 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 some of us are stuck in the games a little bit longer than than others of us and I mean I can do it I can do it I just get tired I mean I'm tired of it I don't I mean it doesn't do anything good it just, it's a make-believe existence when we pretend like we've got it all together. And, um, and church, you know, especially this place where we have these big pews and you come and you sit and you square off toward me and I square off toward you. And, and in my, what I do, you know, you're expecting the preacher to be, uh, you know, something. And, and I can tell you, whatever your expectations are about me, uh, uh, by and large, I won't meet them. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I'm not going to match up to what your expectations are. I, I know that, um, and, and I'm just telling you that right now. Uh, and, and that's okay uh, because I'm not an ugly duckling. I'm a beautiful swan. <laughs> but that's true. Now, I'm not trying to make it so uh, cutesy, but, but really that's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, You're, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is a beautiful picture. It says in verse 21, what we just sang about, for, for God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's where the flawless idea is it, it it's it's not what i've done it's what jesus has done for me and 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 jesus has made me something other than an ugly duckling he's made me a new creation but again the unsettledness comes on monday i know that to be true by the way i can quote the bible in verse to you i know the promises of god don't you know the promises of god you've been in here very long you know the promises of god you can quote them you can scream you'll read the scripture you give scripture in verse these are the promises of god but still monday morning you're unsettled maybe it's not monday morning maybe it's a whole season you're just unsettled something's out of sync it's it's the difference between here and heaven and, and that's the in-between. It, we're here, right? And in the here, you're, you're experiencing some of those unsettlednesses. And, and you, want to, you, you want 
you, you want to escape it. And, and, and really, you don't fully escape it till you get to heaven, right? I mean, heaven is where there's no more tear, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more pain. Uh, where, where, uh, heaven's where we're headed. And when we get there, woo, it's going to be awesome. Can't wait. But we're here, not heaven. And that's where unsettledness happens. And just to be honest, we need a little bit of heaven today and a little less here. We need a little more heaven in our everyday life. And that's what the psalmist is getting at. The psalmist is getting at how we can move beyond the unsettledness and have a vision of peace in our everyday lives. Psalm 85, the psalmist is in a season of unsettled. Now, their unsettled is pretty profound. They've, they've somehow, somewhere in their history, and there are several points of their Israel's history where you could pinpoint this, but, but there was a season when they had escaped judgment, and that was the Exodus. If you go back to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, you see Moses uh, was called out by God from a burning bush to lead the children of Israel out of uh, bondage in Egypt. Uh, and uh, Moses went and he said, God says to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and God did miraculous things. He, he brought uh, uh, judgments and plagues and, and finally convinced Pharaoh that, that it would be better for him if he was obedient to the living God. And, and so uh, Pharaoh let the people go and they, uh, Pharaoh changed his mind, hardened his heart, changed his mind. And they get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They get through on dry ground. They're making their way to the promised land. God rescued them from bondage. But from that moment on, from that rescue moment to today, the people of God forget the rescue God provides and they start focusing on the self or the circumstances the self that dominates their thoughts or the circumstances dominate their thoughts. And, and when self and circumstance dominate your perspective, you're going to live an unsettled life. And the psalmist was tired of it. Maybe like you're tired of it. And so he leads us on a journey where we can get hold of a little heaven here. As the psalmist begins to lead us on this journey... He shows us, step by step, really, a, 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 how that we can receive this vision of a life that's satisfied with heavenly peace. It, that's what God offers us, by the way. This, this is what he offers. And make no mistake, this is me telling you the promises of God. He promises you. If you're indeed a, a part of his family, if you've been rescued by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, make no mistake, you are here today as one promised by God. You will have a life that can be saturated with heavenly peace. And you look down in Psalm 85, look at verse 8, because verse 8 really kind of is key for me. Verse 8, the psalmist says, um, let us listen or here, let us listen to what God the Lord will speak. For he speaks peace to his people and to his saints. But let us not turn back to our folly. All right, so, so what he says is God begins to speak peace. And that's what we want. We want a life that is saturated by this peace. And, and, and yet, 
I think maybe we need to take a moment and define what that peace is. See, when we think of peace, we think of, uh, uh, we, we think of uh, the University of Alabama finally getting beat. Can we get an amen? That's all of us. Those of you who disagree are reprobate. Now, when we think of peace, we think of, um, you know, the absence of conflict, right? We think of the, no problems. We think of circumstances, easy sailing. We think of a peaceful, easy feeling. Song reference. Eagles, all right. We, we, we think of, we think of uh, frolicking through the fields of clover, right? We think of, we think of a pastoral scene. We think of, uh, you know, no bills in the mail this week, right? And that, that's what we're thinking of when we think of peace. And, and certainly that can be part of it. But when, when the psalmist in, in the Old Testament, when it uses that term shalom, It's not talking about the absence of conflict. It's not talking about frolicking in the fields of clover. It's not talking about um, those those momentary instances of a peaceful, easy feeling. When when the Bible uh, uses the term shalom, it's talking about life without any missing parts. It's talking about life that's full and overflowing. It's talking about a life that is settled and secure and on a process of joy and peace and 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 security and hope it's it's this it's this life without any missing pieces and that's the kind of life that Jesus has given us but it's the kind of life that we miss on a daily basis even as followers of Christ because we get hung up on the wrong things right we get hung up on the wrong things Oh, we're, we're getting ready to talk a little bit, okay? If you didn't know, when I take my jacket off like that, it's because we, we got to have a conversation. All right, so the psalmist is talking to the children of Israel. He's, he's talking to them. He's talking to them straight, and he's saying, now listen, we, we need to get out of this, out of this, uh, th- this quandary, this, this mire. We need to get out of this season of, 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 of a slump. But the only way we're going to experience this vision for a life that's saturated by shalom is first if we remember God's grace in our lives. And that's where he begins. He says, we got to remember God's grace in our lives. Now, I want to keep this simple, and I want you to, and maybe, my prayer for you, by the way, is that the Spirit of God would use these words from God's Word to give you a daily discipline to help you move from unsettledness to shalom. Okay? All right, so here's what he says. Uh, he, he begins in verses 1 through 3. Now, read along verses 1 through 3. He says, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. Or your translation may say, you have restored the fortunes of Jacob. It goes on, verse 2, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. So verses 1 through 3, the psalmist leads the children of Israel back in time to remember that exodus out of Egypt, to remember that day and time when God in his grace set them free. 
And, and, and that's when God said, okay, I'm not going to let you remain the same anymore. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to reverse your fortune. I'm going to have, I'm going to create a revolution in your circumstance so that you can experience my grace personally and powerfully in your everyday life. That's what God did for the children of Israel. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what God has done for you. Think about it. I mean, just think about it. Do you remember how that God in his grace called you out in your sin? See, if you're part of God's family, it's not because you're a good religious person. If you're part of God's family, it's not because you've been sitting in a seat for a long period of time. If you're part of God's family, it's not because you've tried to live a moral life. If you're part of God's family, it's not because of any of those things. There's only one thing that gets us into God's family, and that is God sending Jesus to rescue us and to shatter the cell of our sin that has locked us in shame and guilt. And we, by faith, have taken hold of Jesus, and he is our rescuer. Apart from Jesus, we're still in the cell. Apart from Jesus, we're still going to hell. Apart from Jesus, we are still lost in our sin. Apart from Jesus, we are still living without God and without hope in this world. That's who we used to be. But then there was that day when we met Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead because of our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you and me, even when I was dead in my sin, he made me alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Have you been saved? It's not about doing a bunch of church stuff. That doesn't get it done. But it's only through Jesus. So if you're here today and you're part of God's family, are you remembering Are you remembering your personal exodus out of sin's grip and into the delight of life? Lord, you have been favorable to your land. Lord, you have delighted on me to offer me rescuing love through faith in Jesus Christ. You have forgiven the iniquity of my sin. You've carried away my sinfulness. The penalty and the crime that my sin demanded, you pushed it on a tree On the shoulders of your son, my Savior, Jesus. And you killed the debt there. Do you remember God's grace in your life? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? Are you remembering? See, now, that's a little bit different. See, I remember, but am I remembering? See, what the psalmist does here is he's saying, okay, it's not just... I believe that that event happened in my life. But it's actually applying that event that happened in my life into my present day experience. So that my focus is not on myself nor my circumstance, but it's on my Savior, the one who has rescued me. I think one of the reasons we get in trouble, and can I just talk for a second? And I, I know, I'm, I mean, I've got, I'm, I've got my arms, my sleeves rolled up. We're just going to talk for a second. But here's, here's why I think most of us live an unsettled life as a follower of Jesus, where we confess our belief on Sunday and forget about it on Monday. And the reason is because we are so consumed with self or circumstance. Now, the reason I say that is because that's me. 
right? That's the way I, I mean, I get there too. I become so consumed. Think of the children of Israel. Just take a moment, think about them. They, they, they had God doing miraculous things. I mean, taking a sea and parting it, right? God did miraculous things. And almost immediately after they crossed the Red Sea, they began to complain against God because they weren't getting what they wanted to get. Or they had to walk too far. They weren't getting enough water. They, they didn't like their, their neighbors. Or they didn't like how they were in there. Oh, this is so hard. This is so bad. This is so, you know, God had set them free. And they were crying to go back to the chains. Why? Because their circumstances and themselves were their focus. Can I just suggest humbly that one of the reasons why you're miserable in this life as a follower of Jesus is because you are self-focused and circumstance-focused, and that will never lead you to a life saturated with heavenly peace. When you're focused on circumstance and focused on self, that will only and always lead you to bitterness, anger, wrath, disobedience, and unfaithfulness, an unsettledness in your soul. But if you focus on Jesus who has saved you, if you focus not on the reality of your circumstances, but you focus on the reality of God and his favor, his delight, his love, his pleasure in you, how he has made you a beautiful swan, not an ugly duckling. If you focus on God and his love for you, then everything begins to change. Your perspective begins to change. But we don't get out of that perspective because we still delight in griping about self and circumstance. Guys, listen, God is calling us, God's calling us out of a selfish mindset. He's calling us out of a, an earthbound existence. He's calling us out of this realm in which we are so consumed with me. And we fail to see God and his work. Now, this is followers of Jesus. I mean, I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over again. I've lived it over and over again. The psalmist is trying to lift up your eyes. Stop navel-gazing. Lift up your eyes and see the God who parts the seas who's reversing the fortunes around you. Remember God's grace in our lives. Second thing the psalmist does, and again, I don't have to, I, I, I'm, it's 13 verses and I could probably preach for five hours on it. Um, the second thing we see the psalmist does, again, keep it simple. Again, today, as you leave this place, you, will you take the time and remember God's grace in your life? And as you face disappointments, and as you face circumstances that you can't control, as you face those things that would unsettle you, will you remember God's grace in your life? And then will you pray for God to restore you? You know, look at verses 4 through 7. Now, oh, by the way, verses 4 through 7, maybe, just maybe, it would be a good idea just to pray these verses. 
You're unsettled in your heart. You, you feel like the ugly duckling. You're, 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 you're in between and, and you've got more here than heaven in your soul and in your mind and in your thought. Maybe, just maybe, you need to pray verses 4 through 7. It's a prayer for restoration. Here's what the psalmist prays. He, he, he goes, um, restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Verse 4, by the way, says, verses 1 through 3 talked about how it used to be. Verse 4 says, the way it used to be is not the way it is right now. Have you ever been in the midst of, um, I, I remember how God rescued me, but today I'm living in rebellion against him and how out of sync it feels when you're living in rebellion against God. Do you remember that? If you don't remember it, then it's because either, one, you're denying it, or two, you're still in it. You live in rebellion against God, and you wonder why your life's out of sync. Come on now, seriously? You're living in rebellion against God, and you wonder why you're playing all these games, and you're unsettled in yourself. Really? Is that confusing? Not confusing a bit. If it is confusing, can I testify just for a second? Just, just testify. When I walk away from God, peace leaves me altogether. When I live in rebellion against God with what I say, what I think, or what I do, make no mistake, I have no peace. It's gone. That's why the psalmist says, God, will you restore us? Will you return us back? Now, now the picture that he paints, uh, 5, 6, 7, says, uh, um, uh, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Will you not revive us again? The psalmist is praying for life. He's praying for an escape from uh, the, the, the dead zone of despair in which he's living. He wants life again. The only way to experience that life again is to, is to turn from A and turn toward B. Now, last week, if you remember, I said God's better than peanut butter, and I, peanut butter was the big analogy. Today, it's going to be chocolate, okay? So, so here, here's the thing. Here's the picture. It, restore means that you've got to turn from something and turn toward the right thing. You've got to turn from the wrong thing, turn toward the right thing. That's what the psalmist is saying. God, will you restore us? Will you turn us so that we might be turned? Will you turn us away from this so that we might be turned toward this? If you're here today, make no mistake, this has to be your journey on a daily consistent basis because we are prone to turn toward the wrong thing. Nothing wrong with chocolate. Love me some chocolate. Unless chocolate becomes the idol of my life to soothe my soul on difficult days, it becomes the one thing that I have to turn to and trust in to navigate through unsettledness. If I'm trusting in chocolate to settle my soul, make no mistake, it's become an idol in my heart and in my life. And that idol replaces God. You look at the, at the path of your life. And we talked about this last week. Where do you turn when things are stressful? Who do you depend on when things are stressful? What's your passionate pursuit when things are stressful? The psalmist was saying, God, here's chocolate, and I've been holding it up as an idol in my life. Now, obviously, for those, chocolate is a metaphor for whatever that is in your life. 
not necessarily chocolate, but here's chocolate. And, and I, need to, I need to stop trusting in chocolate. And I need to turn and trust in God. And the psalmist says, God, we don't want you to be angry. We're turning away from our worthless idol and we're going to turn toward you. And we're going to trust that you and you alone are the one that can give us a life that's saturated and satisfied with heavenly peace. It's not self, it's not circumstance, but it's God operating. God, will you restore us? God, turn us away from anything that robs me of joyful fellowship with you. And revolutionize my life with your presence. By the way, if all you want to do is play church games, what I just talked about is not for you. The minute you turn from whatever blocks joyful fellowship with God and turn toward God, giving him your allegiance, your affection, and your attention. The minute you do that, you're not playing games anymore. He will destroy your game-playing ways. And that's a good thing, but it's a painful thing. So the psalmist goes on and he says, he says, God, I'm praying for you. There's only one way, and, and if you get nothing else, get this. There's only one way for you and I to experience a life that's satisfied, a life that's saturated with heavenly peace. There's only one way, and that is the nearness of God in our everyday existence. It's where we give him all of our affection. We give him all of our attention, and we give him all of our allegiance. And God will not allow divided affection, divided attention, and divided allegiance. He just won't allow that. With God, it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing. So if you're unsettled in your soul, begin there. Okay? Pray for God to restore us. And then the last thing is uh, listen as God speaks, to, speaks peace to us. Look at verses 8 and following. It says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Oh, sorry. I will, that was verse 84, uh, chapter 84. Verse, uh, 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 verse 8 of chapter uh, 85. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to the folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that, the, uh, that glory may dwell in your land. Mercy and truth have met together. Verses 10 through 13 is a picture of heaven on earth. Mercy and truth come together. Righteousness and peace kiss. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. The Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before God and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Just I have time for only a couple of things. First, um, the Lord will speak peace to his people and to his saints. And then this last phrase, but let them not return to folly. You know what returning to folly is? Returning to folly is chocolate as the source of being settled. It's returning to chocolate as the panacea for your pain. It's returning to chocolate as your idol rather than returning to God. Don't return to your folly. By the way, the Hebrew term for folly there uh, is the same Hebrew term for confidence 
Those are the same, it's the same word in the Hebrew. Confidence and folly, same word. It's also stupidity, another translation for it. So stupidity, confidence, and folly. I don't know what to make out of all that except this. If I am confident in anything other than God, I end up being stupid. So what God wants you to do, what God wants me to do is listen to him speaking peace. And when he begins to speak peace to us, that, that is a call for us to, to draw near to him. He's speaking peace, not just so he can hear himself speak, but so that you and I might be saturated with this fullness of life as, as he gives us his mercy, as he showers us with his love, as he, as he covers us with his truth to guide us in our everyday life, as he, as he shows us his righteousness and how to live in a morally crazy world and, 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 and offers us this life without any missing pieces. Now, now, as we listen to him, we find that peace come alive in us. We give him all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our allegiance. We turn away from our chocolate. And we look up to him and we say, I'll follow you, God. I'll follow along the steps that you have, lead, that you have led me and that you are leading me. I don't want to be out of sync with you. Today, if you're living that unsettled life, Maybe it just needs to begin with you remembering God's grace. This is what he's done for you. Maybe it means that you need to focus on the right thing. Can I just say something real quick? And, and, and I know time is gone. But, but, you know, what amazes me is that we as followers of Jesus are such proponents of fear right now. This election cycle is crazy. We know it. I mean, it is insane crazy. But we as followers of Jesus acting like the world's going to come to an end if one or the other president gets elected. We're promoting this fear like some insane people. Like, like our hope is built on the next president of the United States. It's never been that way, so stop pretending like it is. You realize, and I, I'm saying this with all love and tenderness, some of us in this room today talk as if our hope is in our little idol, whichever president that may be. And if we lose that idol, we lose everything. Everything's gone. I mean, listen to the language that you use sometimes. If, if this is gone, then everything's gone. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket, and we have no hope. Really? I mean, really? Friends, that's, that's not what God has called. Do you realize that the greatest days for the church is not in days of great prosperity, but it's in days of great chaos because we're the people who become the lifeline for other people who have no hope. That God in his sovereign purpose is orchestrating events and, and leading us to perhaps the greatest days that we've ever seen as a church in, in helping people who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. Because everything outside of, of, of Jesus is hopeless. But if 
they encounter you and you aren't captured in this fear-mongering, oh, everything's going crazy, I don't know. What we're if you, if, but if you stand with calm confidence saying, yeah, I've got my preferences, I've got my ideas, but listen, God is in charge of my life. And my life, my life finds its song not in the president who sings, but my life finds its song in how God has singing his love song over me every single day. So stop acting like the world is going to fall to pieces if your candidate doesn't get elected. This is an opportunity for us to be a lifeline to people who really don't have hope. But in order to communicate that effectively, you've got you to gotta live the life of the swan, not the ugly duckling. You've got to live the life of one settled in the grace of God that is permeating your soul and producing in you health and life and vitality. You've got, to, you've got to live settled in who you are in Jesus Christ, a new creation forged on the anvil of salvation, living in fellowship and friendship with a living God. Turning your back on your chocolate and trusting in the king. What are you going to do? How will you live? Would you bow your heads, please? In these next few moments, I just want to encourage you to respond. Some of you just need to, y'all need to not wait for anything. Y'all need to come to this altar. You need to cry out to God. You, you need to cry out to God. Maybe you need to cry out in thanksgiving. God, thank you so much for rescuing me. You need to come to this altar. You need to cry out to God. Maybe it's come, crying out to God, Oh God, I have been turned toward the wrong things and I'm going to turn toward you. I'm going to turn away from my chocolate, turn toward you. God, uh, I, you need to come to this altar and you, you need to cry out to God. Maybe you need to come to this altar. You need to cry out to God and you need to say, Oh God, uh, w- I, I've been giving, dividing my allegiance and dividing my affection and dividing my attention uh, off of you. And today, right now, I, I, I want to give you all that I am, all of my affection, all of my attention, all of my allegiance. I won't divide it any longer. Maybe you need to come and you need to just listen to God speak peace over your life. You come to this altar, just let the waves of his words wash over your soul so that you can find the strength of, of, of your heart and the, and the power pulsing uh, through your spirit as he, as he shares with you that you are today in possession of a life without any missing pieces. Maybe you just need to pray for Monday. That you would remember how to live a settled life in an unsettled world. So, Father, right now, I pray that you would speak peace to your people. And that we would hear you and respond. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.